0: But if we just engage with one piece of ourselves and that piece of ourselves lets us down, then we're kind of out of luck. You know. And what if instead it's supposed to be, you know, when we doubt, then we have the beauty of creation to rely on to help us believe in God. Or then we have the depth of our instinct or our our memory of our grandmother singing hymns or, you know it's this whole whole beautiful multifaceted way that god actually wants to engage with us and and so there's just a different there's a different way to approach learning and a different way to approach who we are that helps us engage god in different ways
1: you're
2: listening to upside down a podcast on spirituality and culture no topic is off limits so join us for unscripted conversations on god's upside down kingdom Welcome to episode forty-three of Upside Down Podcast. I am Kayla Craig, and with me today is co-host Lindsay Wallace. Say hi, Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. <laughs> I can Sorry, tell you I have to do it. I can tell I have you have to. kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, we just watched a movie where the character did that. So,
2: <laughs> so you've been waiting. You've been plotting. <laughs> And we're excited because we have a really special guest host with us today. Her name is Mandy Smith. And Mandy, go ahead and say hi.
0: I'm here. And I didn't know if I was allowed to laugh at the corny joke before I'd been introduced, but I I was laughing to myself as well.
2: Mm. <laughs> no, we're definitely we laugh a lot at a lot of corny things on the upside down podcast so you're <laughs> at our right along. yeah, we think we're funny. <laughs> so guys we we are so excited to have Mandy with us because she's so much um smarter than I am, <laughs> and I can't wait to learn from her. I've learned from her from her and her books and on her writing online. so let me just give you guys. Um, a little background into who Mandy is, and then we're going to jump right in and have a really good conversation. I know it. So Mandy is originally from Australia, and she is the lead pastor of University Christian Church Campus and Neighborhood Congregation with its own Fair Trade Cafe, which our Upside Down Tribe is all about. So that's so cool. And she lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. She's a regular contributor to Christianity Today and Missio Alliance and the author of The Vulnerable Pastor, How Human Limitations Empower Our Ministry. She I mean, if that's not all, she's the director of Missio Alliance's She Leads Summit Church Together and creator of The Collect, a citywide trash to art project, which we're going to have to talk about. We're going to have to talk about this,
0: yeah, And I should say, and, it took me a really long time to do all those things. I'm not doing them all at once.
2: <laughs> that's good to hear. See, she's already yes. being vulnerable with us, right? From the get go. <laughs> Mandy and her husband, Jamie, a New Testament professor at Cincinnati Christian University, live with their family in what she calls a little house where the teapot is always warm. Welcome to the show, Mandy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you today. I'm sure you get this all the time, but I could just listen to your accent. All, all
0: day. <laughs> people do say, well, it's so funny because people always say, I love listening to you. And I say, what did I say that was interesting? And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> I just like your accent. So sometimes it's a little bit disappointing, but I'm sure you're also listening to what I'm actually saying.
2: So. We yes, are, we of are. Of course. And we're excited to talk today because I would love, you know, you literally wrote a book on vulnerability. So I would love to just Jump right in the deep end because that's kind of how we do things around here. And yeah. hear about what kind of pulled you to even write The Vulnerable Pastor. What was it in your life that made you think this is something that um, needs to be talked about in terms yeah. of vulnerability? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let me first clarify that when I say vulnerable, I say that in the broadest sense of just the experience of being a human being. So, you know, Brené Brown has done amazing work and I use her work in my book um, to talk about the choices that we make to expose ourselves to one another, that kind of vulnerability. But what I'm talking about includes that, but isn't limited to that. It's basically everything that we experience that reminds us that we're limited. So when, when we get sick, when we get tired, when we get old, when we We don't look the way we like or we run out of ideas when we don't feel smart enough. All of these things are human vulnerabilities that I think God knows we have and is fine with and something in our culture and in ourselves um, brings shame around those things and that becomes a problem. So it was actually an experience of that, that that brought this. I wish that I could tell you it would be actually much more comfortable for me to be able to say, like, I just thought I would explore it and it was an interesting idea for me. But I guess then that wouldn't be quite a vulnerable book to be writing if it was just an idea. But, of course, it, it came from a real experience of um, of brokenness in my life that began when I went to a huge – ministry conference i had been praying for you know feeling called to ministry and praying about this for years and had been an associate pastor for five years and then when i was stepping into the lead pastor role which nobody in my denomination i'd never seen a woman do before and in my denomination i was the first of in six thousand congregations to have a woman in that role so it was very overwhelming for me in Mm. various ways um and so went to a big conference right around that time, and and really went with an open heart, thinking I'm going to, you know, God's going to use this to empower me for this new role that He has for me. And um, He did use it to equip me and prepare me for the role, but not at all in the way that I expected, because I just found nobody there who looked like me. They're all good people, and they were wanting to serve the kingdom by running this particular gathering, but it really just I felt like I collided with a brick wall because nobody there seemed to think like me. A lot of assumptions there didn't include me and um, some of it was overt some of it was kind of less direct but after about 24 hours at this conference I just just couldn't be there anymore and kind of went and hid in my hotel room for about 24 hours and I looked inside of myself for any sign of of what this leader model looked like that I had seen all around me and I just found an absolute desert and uh, I said to the Lord you know You've made a mistake. I just don't have anything, and in a way, it was um, partly about being able to do a job or fulfill a call. But there was also something there that was a real faith crisis. I think because um, you know, I think that any sense of feeling called to something, whether it's paid ministry or not, any time we feel God calling us to something, there is definitely it's connected to our own faith in Him. It's not just a separate thing. And so, um, in that hotel room. I think it was very dramatic. I threw up a couple of times and, um, you know, threw myself across the bed and cried my eyes out and, um, just kept telling him he'd made a mistake and that I was empty. And, um, I really wanted him to, to come alongside me and kind of talk to me like your best friend would and say, no, look at all these skills you have and all this experience and all these gifts. And, Uh, He just kept saying, in your weakness, I am strong. In your weakness, I am strong. And that kind of seemed like a platitude to me at the time because I think now, in hindsight, I understand how I understood it at the time was that that it meant, in your weakness, I'll make you feel strong. And that wasn't happening. And so it didn't seem to have any power. But it's Mm -hmm. only now that I look back on that and realize how he was promising me what he was going to reveal to me it was probably about six months or a year of of kind of figuring this out before I even had some clarity so it wasn't like I left that conference feeling great you know I left feeling basically uh having a mental map of the emptiness inside of me which is not how Mm -hmm. you really want to start a new role but that's where I found myself and so I think without realizing it what I what I did and what the book tells the story of is I spent the next years um, testing that promise. Like if you're really strong in my weakness, what about this weakness? What about this morning when I've had an argument with my husband and I have to go to work and I don't feel ready? Are you Can you be strong in that? What about this day when, um, you know, I'm supposed to be leading a meeting and I really don't feel prepared even though I've tried? What Can you be strong in that? You know, what about this this situation in my congregation that's breaking my heart and i feel like i just am not going to be able to respond well to it can you be strong in that you know so um that's my phone telling me it's time to go to bed <laughs> Sorry, I to silence it. um god can even be strong in our weakness when we forget to silence our phones um so yeah to, to bring the story around um the uh, the whole the book is telling the story of my testing of that promise and finding it to be true, Com- complicated but true, and uh, and basically it became my entire um, philosophy of my faith, my entire philosophy of ministry, and in- incredibly freeing and um, yeah, it, it taught me the gospel in new ways. So I. I did write it um, through the lens of my experience as a pastor, but I think that anybody um, who's a Christian could find something meaningful in it. They might just be applying it in different ways than I'm applying it.
2: Mm, that's so good when you when you talked about saying, "God, I think you've made a mistake." I mean, I think all of us who have followed the call in whatever way that looks like have had these moments of whoa this was a, this is I am not the right person for the job here. Like uh yeah. that's that's so relatable to me.
0: And the crazy thing is we think that's so unusual, but the the scripture is filled with stories of this, you know? Mm-hmm. And um one of my favorite ones is Jeremiah and it was only Sometime after that experience that I read Jeremiah's story, very first chapter of Jeremiah, God says, you're going to be my prophet. And Jeremiah says, oh, no, (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, I love it because, and and I think God does this with Moses and a couple other people too. God doesn't come back and say, oh, Jeremiah, you have this and you have that and, you you know, you can be good at this. Um, Jeremiah says, I, I cannot do this. And God says, I, (laughs) you know, God's like, I am calling you. I will send you, I will be with you. I will equip you. and um, I realize now that's what that's what God was doing in my life too, but I really wanted him to just say, "No, you, you know, mm. but it's it's right we all experience that even if it's the situation of being a parent or family situations or marriage or. You know, just trying to live out the gospel with our neighbors, I mean, it's all too much for us, actually. Um, Just trying to be a good person is too much, you know. Um, And then some days where we feel like what he's asking from us is cruel, but if Mm -hmm. we see that as an invitation to need him more, then there's actually an opportunity to partner with him instead of feeling ashamed of our
2: limitation. Yes, that's so good. I, I sometimes feel like when I'm stepping in to you know, what, what the Lord has called me to, or what I sense, um, the spirit leading, I feel, I almost feel like a physical poking at my weak spots. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I just, I just feel that like, this is, these are all the things that I, I don't feel strong in. And so Mm -hmm. I, I love hearing you, um, talk about that as Lindsay and I were kind of peeking through the book, uh, a line stood out to both of us and I would love, um, for you just to unpack that a little bit for our listeners. And I know that after hearing this, they're going to want to get a copy of their own, but it's here you say, if feeling our own weakness makes us rely on God, and if the best ministry grows from reliance on him, then our weakness is a ministry resource. Mm
0: -hmm. That's crazy logic, but (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. it means that we have unlimited resources too you know if every one of our weaknesses is an opportunity to rely on God and for him to be revealed then yeah we got a lot of opportunities to rely on God but um yeah i i think that we live in a culture that we've all been trained when you feel inadequate when you feel like you can't and i wrestle with this every single week one of my one of my worst situations with this is with writing sermons i'm overwhelmed every every single week with how to do this thing and feel the pressure of it on me And every single week I get to a place where I just feel like I've got to work harder, I've got to read more books, I've got to crank this thing out. And I've tried to make a mental note that that feeling, that anxious feeling of being in over your head and out of your depth is actually supposed to be a cue to turn to God and say, I need you. And uh, there's so much in our culture that has taught us. I mean, I think even just the whole advertising industry says, You've got a problem, you've got a weakness, you feel something lacking in yourself, you're the only one and here, buy this product, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this knee-jerk reaction that we don't even realize we're doing. It's a kind of atheism really that is mm-hmm. making us rely on ourselves. And so what would it look like if every single time when we feel um, inadequate, insecure, uh, you know, confronting our own limitations, ordinary human limitations, What if every one of those was instead an opportunity to to remember that God is right there? And and part of this has also taught me how much this is not just this God who's walking along beside us, but a Holy Spirit that's promised to dwell within us and Mm. to equip us and encourage us from within. And so that's where it became about the gospel for me too, that I realized um, partnering with him was not just asking Him to walk with me, but kind of being like Jesus in a way because we have God's very Spirit in our bodies, this incarnation thing. And um, and so the good news wasn't any more about something that happened a long time ago on a cross or something that I'm looking forward to in heaven, but you know, to be reunited with God now every single day and for the challenges of life just to drive me further into that connection with Him, um, that feels like good news, you know.
2: Amen. Yes. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> so Lindsay, I feel like you have to have something to say about this.
1: <laughs> from from well, your I'd- ministry. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love um what Mandy you just said about kind of the retraining of your mind, right? When you start to notice those anxious feelings, um, to recognize that as an opportunity to go, Okay, God, I can't do this and I have to rely on you. But like you said, we've trained ourselves the opposite. We've trained ourselves to um fix from the outside or kind of become our own gods right and like to fix it in our own strength so I just love that picture of um of taking that as a cue and then retraining ourselves to really take that opportunity to go okay not me but you and how can I rely on you in this I think that's really great practical takeaway for people good Myself included. (laughs) Mm,
0: Well, it's still hard. Like, it's still something that you have to relearn every single day, I think. Mm -hmm. um, The more you get in the habit, the more freeing it is.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Something I've been um, just kind of noticing is a lot of kind of um, content and ideas on the internet and on Instagram and and books that is kind of this Christian nonfiction made for women has this mm-hmm. this kind of overwhelming beat of you're enough. And I think that it comes from a good place, you know, that, that w- as women, we've kind of been told we're not enough for so long. But yet mm-hmm. when we get that messaging, I wonder if then we some... It, like it's kind of a cheap band-aid for like what's really going on, which is right. nobody is enough and and God mm-hmm. is enough.
0: Yeah. I mean it's one thing to say I am created in the image of God and I am loved and um I I have security in that, that's not going to solve every problem that I have or answer every question. It's gonna make that's not gonna make me equipped for all of the pain and challenges of life. Um, so I am enough for the peace that God asks of me, but there's so much more that I feel, um, is required of me that I just can't possibly, um, be. And our culture, I think, puts so much pressure on us to be something more than we are. I often think of, um, Walter Brueggemann calls it the atheism of pride and the atheism of despair. And so one of them is, I'm enough, I don't need anybody else, I'm going to be just fine and puff ourselves up in our own strength. And the other one is, oh, I'm so inadequate and I have nothing. And and both of them kind of turn, them, turn us into ourselves and um, make us think we're the center of the universe somehow. And mm. God just longs for partnership with us, you know. And I think he sends us on adventures partly so that we'll remember that he um, – is there with us, and that we can we can turn to him any time? I think there's a metaphor that's often used in um in any kind of language about responding to a call from God, whether it's paid vocational kind of ministry or whatever we're doing in response to a call from him that has this kind of imagery of like God is on the throne and he calls us into his throne room and he sends us out on this mission on his behalf. And there's something helpful about that. But at the same time, once it gets hard and this thing that we've been sent out to feels impossible, then we can resent him and be like, why is he back there sitting, you know, sitting in his throne room comfy and sending me out to do the hard work? And um, it misses the fact that God himself is on mission in the world, making all things new. Mm -hmm. And he loves us enough to say, I want you to be here with me. This is an adventure. Won't you do it with me? And when it gets hard, I'm going to be right there with you because I'm on the adventure too, you know. And I just love the image of like a dad who's really excited to go on a camping trip running in in the morning and waking up his kids really early and saying, Um, or a mum, either way, a parent um, going and just waking up the kids and saying, quick, grab a few things. We're going on an adventure. And, you know, I don't even know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be exciting. And I'll be right there with you if it gets scary, you know, Um, that, that feels more, um, I don't know, feels more hopeful. It feels more relational and more doable than what I used to imagine I was doing with him.
1: And I think it feels more accurate too, of what we read about in the scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it just feels it feels accurate. Mm.
0: Yeah, it feels yeah. more scriptural, more whole.
2: So, Mandy, in a recent piece that you wrote for Missio Alliance, you referenced um, Walter Brueggemann, who you just referenced. He's one of my heroes. Yes, yeah. and and same with us. So <laughs> we're you're in good yeah. company here. But I wanted to pull out something that you said because. It just, uh, when you were talking, it reminded me. So in this piece, you wrote, in anxious times, we need imagination and stories help expand our imaginations, actually reshaping our brains, which reminds me of what Walter Brueggemann has been talking about for years. What's required is not just telling nice stories, from our own imagination. Only by stepping into a prophetic imagination fueled by the Spirit will we be freed to break this anxious cycle. And I think we we need that. We need that. So um, as as you think about that, uh, you talk about the power of telling these stories with a prophetic imagination. Can you explain what you mean when you talk about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm also inspired. I think I mentioned in that article too, Edwin Friedman, it's a wonderful, um, kind of leadership guru who was a rabbi as well. And he has a lot of real wisdom around leadership. That's different from some of the leadership stuff we get today. And he says that, um, you know, it's, we're tempted in anxious times to just react and almost go into a reptilian mode, a survival mode. And really what we need most in, ang- in anxious times, whether it's in family or in politics or in um, the church, when there's conflict and anxiety, um, what we need most is that kind of mammal side of ourselves, which is warm and which is playful and which tells stories and, um, it's it's very hard to go there when you're feeling anxious, um, but it's what it's what we're called to. And uh, another thing that has really helped me understand that is Kurt Thompson, who's a Christian neurologist, um, and he gives the example of Nathan from the Bible, the prophet who challenges David. And instead of challenging David by just saying, you're a really bad king and you shouldn't have done that with Bathsheba, you know, he tells a story and story engages our whole brain. It engages all parts of ourselves, the thinking kind of logical part of our brain and the kind of imaginative metaphorical part of our brain. And that's why I think Jesus told stories so much too, that, um, Steps out of argument, steps out of wanting to um, give proofs and statistics. And um, Kurt Thompson says that this that Nathan is this wonderful example because David gets brought in. You know, he doesn't get defensive because there's a story being told, and and he gets drawn into the story. And he says, "Who is that man?" And then discovers that he's talking about him. Um, and I think this is this is the case for so many things that we're dealing with inside the church and outside of the church at the moment. Um, And that article specifically was related to kind of gender dynamics. And um, I've been kind of thrown into the middle of some very anxious situations with all of that and um, have really felt the anxiety and have wanted to defend myself and wanted to get angry. And um, God has called me to something better that has taken a lot of work to release the pain but um, has really has really taught me the gospel, and I want to share more about that.
2: And so that is kind of what brought you to creating um, Church Together, right?
0: Yeah, well, I can't take credit for creating it. Monsieur Alliance from the very beginning has been really invested in um, furthering the conversation about how men and women can lead the church together, and they started Church Together well, they they started um, She Leads, the She Leads Summit, um, three years ago. And then last year was the second summit they asked me to be the director and then asked me to do it again this year. So it's the She Leads Summit that's been going for three years. This year it's uh, the theme is Church Together, kind of playing off the Church two mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's not going to be entirely about Church two, but we wanted to acknowledge that that's something going on in the world right now that's a real uh, phenomena and kind of, if you look at the website, there's a tricky little thing we did with the logo where we kind of wrapped church two and church together in um, the same kind of word. So um, to kind of bring some healing to what's going on. So um, it's going to be November 10th and the main venue is in Pasadena. If you want to join us there, that will be the live venue, but we'll also be live streaming it all over the country. We've got about Eight venues set up now, but last year we had 12. I think we'll probably have even more than that by the time November 10th rolls around. So there's still time if you're wanting to be a live venue. um, We can get you some information about that. Um, You can also do a live stream party. So it's a much less formal and more of a closed gathering. You can just grab a bunch of friends at school or um, at your church or whatever and just sit around in your pajamas if you want to and watch it together um, or you can just watch it by yourself online wherever you are as well so you don't have to come to a venue or to the main venue in Pasadena to take part in it and um, it's a, it's basically like a six hour summit, there's no workshops or anything, it's all in one plenary. We've got Jo Saxton who's going to be sharing her story of um, Mike Breen's kind of developing of her as a leader which I can't wait to hear that story and um, We've got Mark Laberton who's going, who's the president of Fuller, who's gonna be sharing his perspective as as a white man who's trying to open the way for for other folks. So, um, and we have a panel, we have you know lots of folks. We have Ania Okwobi, who is a woman who does a lot of work uh, with um interracial kind of reconciliation and will be sharing her story as a woman and as a African American and the way that She's learning to deal with lament and pain and find hope, and um, so it's going to be a really beautiful day. I think it's actually going to be a day where there will be we'll, we'll have permission to lament what is broken, and this is this is where Walter Brueggemann really inspires me too with prophetic imagination that that he says that the healthy prophet doesn't just lament um, but laments and dances at the same time, which is a crazy kind of prospect. But that's where the imagination comes in. Yeah. That, um, We dance for what is to come. We dance for what we believe God is doing, even if we can't see it. And somehow um, that actually helps to make it possible and, um, the funny thing is a few years ago i I felt God calling me to dance for the healing to come literally and I'm not a dancer and I felt very awkward about <laughs> that but um, it felt like you know what what you want to do is argue you want to read more you want to fix the problem you want to explain and understand and um, when there's conflict um, whether it's male female conflict or issues in the church or in the world and um, when I was getting to a place of just lamenting I especially lament a lot at the moment it breaks my heart to see just so much brokenness in the church in so many ways that we don't live up to what we're called to be and when i get to that place i i ask i hear the lord saying dance for the healing to come and um and so when i literally i do this by myself i don't do this <laughs> before, but um you know when nobody's home and i'm in my socks in the living room there's a particular song that i put on and turn it right up and um and it's very hard. It's an act of the will when you're lamenting to choose to dance for what God is making new. But something breaks in me in the middle of that, and I and I tell myself, if I really believed He was doing it, wouldn't I celebrate it now? Wow. Mm. If I really believed He was making new, wouldn't wouldn't I celebrate it? And um, so somehow it actually helps me to imagine it, and that helps me to go back to what's broken in the world and to bring that vision with me and to tell other people like imagine if he's doing this let's live as if it's true you know
2: mandy that's beautiful
0: so yeah that's a long answer to your question but that's where the imagination yes. piece comes in for wow
2: me. um it makes me think we have a friend who um he and his wife immigrated the uh, refugees from um west central africa and they had an infant daughter um who unexpectedly died after birth and we had um just truly an honor and privilege to be with them in their grief and their suffering and just kind of to bear witness to what they were experiencing as parents and as husband and wife and as people of the community. And we were um, invited to the funeral, which was a giant Congolese gathering and um, they got up at toward the end And he, the husband got on stage and he said that he thought about David and how he, he washed his face and then he danced and he got on stage as their mourning, and they danced and it was, I, it, it was such a holy moment (laughs) that I I don't think Mm -hmm. I'll ever forget Mm -hmm. it. And as you were talking about just everything you just said, I just was seeing them dance in my mind and it's just very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Lord is
0: dancing over his creation, and it it defies logic, you know, he should be the most brokenhearted to see, he knows every single brokenness of this world and of the church, and um, I know he feels every single one of them, but there's something even better that drives him forward, and I want to see it, I don't know what exactly it is, but... um, I can't wait to see what he has in store.
2: I feel like you're just filling me up with so much hope at the end. We're recording this at the end of a long day, and I just, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk to you and have our listeners hear your wisdom and your heart and what you're talking about kind of. You know, I feel like a lot of us um, in my my generation, a lot of millennials right now are kind of going through this deconstruction period of our faith and trying to figure out what is true about God and and what isn't and what what we need to let go of and what we need to hold on to and just kind of in this middle place. And is that something that you're Mm -hmm. kind of... um, working on in any of your upcoming work? Yes, actually. And because my church
0: is actually a campus church, it's a neighborhood and campus church. So we have families, but we also have about 50% university students. And so I'm walking through that with, with my students as well in that millennial kind of place. And, um, yeah, I actually just about two weeks ago, put the finishing touches on my next book and I don't know if it's any good or not, but it's, it really makes me happy because it's just what I want. I think it's, I think it's the best thing I've ever made apart from like whatever I've contributed to my kids and my church Mm -hmm. and my (laughs) marriage. Um, So pray with me that I'll find a publisher now. But um, basically it's sharing, and I'm going to come around to answer your question. I'll try to do this as quickly as possible. But um, there was an experience that that God began in my life about three years ago when I went on a sabbatical that was related to – just childlikeness I realized on sabbatical that I didn't have anything to do so I could just follow my childlike heart and when you do that for eight weeks which just meant sleeping in when I felt like it and crying when I felt like it and splashing in puddles when I felt like it for eight weeks and then when I went back to work um something had awoken in me and I couldn't I couldn't ignore it anymore. But this time, it was telling me, like, pray for that person to be healed, even though you can't imagine they'll ever be healed. And start talking about revival and writing for Christianity Today and other publications online about revival, even though everyone rolls their eyes at that word. And you know, asking me to do things that were uncomfortable and and sometimes felt even dangerous. And I, I, I at some point, I couldn't tell the difference anymore between my childlike instinct and the spirit at work in me. And um, and so. That's helped me also to understand um, the place of Jesus, the solid. I had kind of a different kind of solidarity with him, realizing that what if it was Jesus' childlike heart that that made him keep obeying and took him to the cross, you know? And so there was something then in the suffering, even in the difficult places, that I felt that leading me. I I realized in new ways how that was what Jesus had experienced too, um, and. But I say this to say, then when I started writing about that, I realized how much, um, I was kind of ashamed because that felt very subjective and that felt very emotional. And how could I say this was, it was a significant theological experience for me personally, because it drove me then to read the Bible in new ways and to read, to just explore theology in new ways. And I found some things that really helped make sense of all that. But to try to share that with anybody else, I felt like I had to create this theological treatise and like make it reasonably and rationally meaningful to people. And so I started writing this thing and wrote it three different times to try to make that work and finally just realized I just have to tell the story as God, in the order that God shared it. But here's where it comes to the millennial thing. Then I had to come to a place where I asked myself, what's the deal with that? <laughs> you know, why are we not able to to value the ways that God engages with every single part of our lives, with our emotions and our thinking, with our bodies and our spirits, with you know our instincts and every part of us, that we um, we have broken our Christianity down to this set of rules or this set of ideas. And honestly, that's just not satisfying. And it it keeps us in this place of thinking that we can argue for this thing or that we can talk ourselves into it or get over our doubts. And, And if we're only engaging with that one part of ourselves, which our brain is a good thing, there's nothing wrong with engaging intellectually, but it's only part of who we are. And once that one, I kind of feel like there's this multifaceted aspect of who we are that's supposed to help us engage with this multifaceted God. And if we're only relying on one piece of ourselves, for some people it might be only their emotions that they're relying on. Um, I happen to be in a context where it's where it's primarily kind of intellect. But if we just engage with one piece of ourselves and that piece of ourselves lets us down, then we're kind of out of luck. you know. And what if instead it's supposed to be, you know, when we doubt, then we have the beauty of creation to rely on to help us believe in God or then we have the depth of our instinct or our, our memory of our grandmother singing hymns or, you know, it's this whole, whole beautiful multifaceted way that God actually wants to engage with us. And I think that's just one part of what millennials wrestle with is, is um, the way that the contemporary kind of modern world has the Western world has um, the whole, like I think therefore I am kind of thing under everything that we do. And so there's just a different, there's a different way to approach learning and a different way to approach who we are that helps us engage God in different ways that, Actually, there's a lot of shame around. There's a lot of – it's hard to trust your instincts. It's hard to trust your emotion when we're told that that's just subjective and not worth trusting. Um, So I think in some way that has helped me respond to some of the – yeah, all of the things that people are wrestling with now. I think a part of it too, of course, that millennials are wrestling with is just what's broken in the church and all of the ways that power has been um, abused in the church. And, um, so that's something that I'm kind of processing too, that even the way that I was trying to describe and understand my faith in that whole experience was really trying to do a kingdom thing in an empire way. Yes, um, yeah, but, And we do that all the time without even realizing it. yeah, um and I think that's actually kind of sums up what i what many millennials are wrestling with is how much we do kingdom things in empire ways. And then it's time for us to stop. And, you know, there are really obvious ways we do that, but there are not so obvious ways too. Even something as simple as, um, you know, I do this too, we all, I think we're all um, tempted when we are suddenly confronted with some kind of thing that we're doing wrong, that we need to grow and, you know, we feel convicted that there's something in us that we need to change. Um we then go to this place of like, oh, I really need to work hard to make myself better for God, you know, and that's kingdom things in empire ways because what we really are supposed to do is say, oh, Lord, I need your help to even become the person that you want me to be. And we have obviously the choice to, to change and to turn our will to him. And then we turn our life to him and say, make us more like you you know and so even in those really simple ways everyday we we are doing empire things sorry kingdom things in empire ways so um yeah i think a big part of the millennial issue is is just getting frustrated with the church for doing things that way and longing for us to rediscover how to do kingdom things in kingdom ways so again another very long answer to your question but i hope that that answers it in some way
2: oh yeah that was i mean i'm taking notes so <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. For well that.
0: hopefully in a year or so there'll be a book that you don't yes. have to take notes. But... Yes,
2: I can't wait to read it. That sounds it sounds amazing. It sounds like something a lot of our um, our listeners and our community would really, really benefit from. So. Yeah. So you need to keep yeah. us updated yeah. on that one.
0: <laughs> so yeah, well, actually, Walter Brueggemann lives in town here. Or he did until recently, and um, he offered to read it for me, and he approved. Oh my so goodness! It already has his seal of approval. Oh, that's amazing! And I couldn't believe that he was willing to do that. But so, if nothing else, Walter Brueggemann likes it. <laughs> well,
2: there you go. That's wonderful. Well, I would love to just hear a little bit more about the collect.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I did this about 10 years ago now. And um, it's probably important for me to say that this was something I did when I was an at-home mom. So um, it, it might be easy to hear that bio of mine. or look at my resume and be like, oh, yeah, she's got a full-time lead pastor job. Um, but 14 years out of Bible college, was when I got my first paid ministry role and the rest of the time I was working in a secretarial job that I really didn't like to put my husband through his PhD and then home 10 years with the kids and so there was something in me and I, I think women often go through these different seasons of life where they're you know doing something for their family for a while taking care of their parents or their kids supporting their husband in his role or whatever and um I think that God can work our callings out around our commitments to our families and the other things that we are also feeling called to. And so, um, this just was something that was on my heart when I was home with the kids that I had actually gone through a season of depression and found myself just wandering the streets and picking up little bits of junk off the street. I live in the inner city. There's, there's plenty. If you, if you think junk is like, um, art supply, then there's plenty of art (laughs) 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 Um, and so uh, I just had this box by the back door that I would drop them in, and then a friend at a local um, kind of urban kids drop-in center asked me to make some art for their counseling center that they were building, and I knew that it needed to be kind of hopeful but honest about what's broken as well. And so I went in that box of junk, and I was like, "Well, what can I make out of this?" With all these beautiful colors of smashed tail lights, and you know, there's cool things you can find on the street. So I made this for them, and then. Um, then I realized how much my own depression was being healed because suddenly things that were so were just trash, I was suddenly seeing them instead as like art supplies basically, you know, and I wanted to make, you know, I don't know, I was making a sun and so I needed more orange. So I'm going around the streets and I'm just thinking I just need orange. I wasn't thinking like this is trash anymore, mm. you know. And um, so something somehow my own heart got wrapped up in the healing that, that was happening as I was turning the trash into something beautiful. I was I was watching something broken in myself become healed too. And so I thought the Cincinnati had just a few years before that had a lot of race riots and there was still a lot of unrest and brokenness in the city. And um, I thought, I want to share this kind of hope with other people. And at first I was just going to make art myself and have an art show, but then I thought, no, it's the process of making it. That's been really meaningful. And so I reached out to a local art, Um, initiative in the city and said what if we did this thing where we invite people to contribute uh, um, junk and we make art with it and so we set up six different cafes around the city to be locations that we could the people that anybody could just drop off junk and we had some rules so it wasn't gross and people people gave some really interesting things somebody gave a whole watch band collection and somebody gave Mm. um, all these like old lenses from cameras and people wrote little notes about what this thing was and then um we collected all that over a couple of months and then I had the weirdest kind of party I've ever had where we had about 17 artists who were willing to work with us and had this big um kind of this strange party where we laid out all the trash and we're like nibbling on cheese and and just browsing (laughs) the bits of junk you know and um everyone took a box home and about a month later we had an art show that they uh, with all the stuff that they made and um and auctioned all that off for the art organization that we had partnered with and did all that. The The show was in the cafe that my church owns. Um, and so it was a wonderful opportunity because a lot of my depression was actually around the fact that I don't didn't want to live in the United States at the time and I was missing home. And um, so putting together this kind of citywide art event, I got to know all these artists and I heard stories about people's trash and yeah, I just got to be involved in so many different ways in the city and I started to like being in the city in a new way. And so it was a really beautiful thing. So um, I actually have another book that's not in print anymore that I think you can buy secondhand on Amazon called Making a Mess and Meeting God. And um, I tell the story in there and and share the, um, the activity along with I think about 12 other different kind of hands-on, no skills required um art kinds of activities that you can do if you're not an artist. They just help because I think that there's something really powerful about the process of all of that. The hands-on part of it really helped me to do some processing and God did some healing through through the making of it. And so this other book, Making a Mess and Meeting God, also um, creates different kind of like a devotional thought but then an art exercise to help process it in a new way because that's one of the ways that I learn. I think a lot of us learn in those kind of hands-on ways.
2: Mm. That's so good. And I'm sure Lindsay is uh, nodding her head. I know she does a lot of like art and creativity <laughs> with her kids <laughs> as she homeschools. And, yeah. Yeah. and
0: the funny thing is kids do yes. that kind of stuff. Like making stuff mm-hmm. out of trash you find on the street. My kids were in elementary school at the time and I became known as the like the trash lady. And so <laughs> still years afterwards, kids from that school would just bring me around <laughs> things. It was kind of funny, but they got so into it. And the art, the art group um, or the art class at the school – did their own version of the project mm-hmm. too. So it was really cool.
2: Yeah, that was really cool. Well, Mandy, I yeah. you had a line in um, The Vulnerable Pastor that you talk about creating a space for others to be human and for God to be God. And I feel like you have done that in this conversation. <laughs> and I just to want to thank it. you for that.
0: And just so you know, I don't yeah. live in this like... Super cozy, happy, peaceful space all the time. I think one of the biggest things with vulnerability is um, being honest about whatever you're feeling. And so the Psalms are a great example to me. I don't. I just don't want to communicate to anybody who's listening like, oh, I wish I could feel as warm and cozy as she seems to feel right now. <laughs> you know, it takes it takes work to just tell the Lord whatever you're feeling, and, <laughs> and sometimes it takes that before I can get to a place of peace. So whatever you're feeling right now, um, the Psalms give us yeah. really good um, permission to say all the ugly stuff to God, to say, are you even listening to me? <laughs> um, and there's a funny piece, even if that doesn't resolve the problem, there's a mm. funny
2: piece behind that. So. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mandy, so much for talking with us today. You're welcome. It's been great to hang out with you guys. Thank you. And we will give everybody um, ways to contact you, to learn more about you, to learn more about Church Together. I am hoping to get a group together to stream it. I would love to go to California, yeah. but, you know, landlocked in Iowa right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much, Mandy, and we yeah. look forward to oh, church yeah, go ahead. it's org. I forgot to say that okay. so check that out awesome we will do that and we hope you all do that too thank you so much for listening to Upside Down Podcast and we'll see you again soon